Lifeway Leadership Podcast Network. You're listening to the Five Leadership Questions Podcast. I'm your host, Todd Atkins, and I'm here today with Ben Mandrell. Hey, man. Great to be on here and great to be on here with Tim. I'm excited to get to know him. And the other person uh, on the line today is Tim Challies. Uh, you, you know, our, our audience for the most part is pastors and church leaders. And so in so many ways, uh, many of us have been greatly affected by the things that you produce. Um, an early blogger, uh, pastor, elder, um, father, uh, book reviewer. Um, so we love books on this podcast. We talk about books all the time. There's not a podcast that goes by, even if we're not talking to an author that we don't talk about books. Um, so I enjoy that you are a writer and, uh, a reader. Um, and we're just so glad to have you on today. Thanks for having me on. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. Looking forward to the conversations. Now, what else would you, uh, tell our listeners about yourself? I mean, obviously, you know, Canadian, but we won't hold that against you. Yeah. From Canada, born and raised in Canada, though my family has long since migrated to the South. So I spend a fair bit of time down there. They're all in uh, Georgia at the moment. And uh, yeah, other than that, I don't know, Pastor Elder Grace Fellowship Church in Toronto, where I uh, love to serve. Toronto is a fascinating context for ministry. And um, yeah, really thankful to be here and uh, look forward to many more years of serving the church here. You know, um, we have, uh, we have friends from all over the place, but, um, one is, well, we've got several friends up in Canada, Daniel M who used to co-host the podcast is now at Beulah Alliance in Edmonton. I know that's a, not exactly a stone's throw away. That's pretty far away. Um, it's pretty far. Yeah. But in the, uh, in the grand scheme of things, the Canadian, uh, connection is interesting for me because whether it's, it's Beulah, Conexus, or, you know, your church, Canada is a completely different context than, you know, we are in and around Nashville. However, I do think it's a context that is probably uh, coming for us. And uh, Ben, who was a church planter in Denver, um, you know, has a, has a heart and a passion for really unreached cities and, and geographical areas like none other. So I, I would, I would ask you, what would you want people to know about um, serving a community similar to Toronto? Sure. Yeah. So I think the, the international boundary that separates our two countries, you can stand with one foot in each of our countries. That's how close they are. It's really deceptive because Canada is more like Europe than like America. And so I feel more at home or like it's a more natural, comfortable environment for me in the United Kingdom than in the United States, even though one's on the other side of the ocean or even in uh, more mainland Europe, it just feels more like our context. And that's true because there's much greater separation between politics and religion in Canada, um, but also because of the greater degree of secularization in Canada. Um, there, there's certainly not nearly the population of Christians in Canada as in the U.S. 
And um, so, so yeah, it's a much more secularized environment. Um, Canada is also an extremely immigrant heavy country. So the world has been invited to Canada and is gladly accepting the invitation. And so if you go into most of our major cities, you're more likely to see somebody who's, who's been in Canada for one generation, maybe two than somebody who's been there for many. And that makes it really exciting, especially when the people immigrating over are bringing the Christian faith with them. And we find that many of the people in our churches have become Christians elsewhere, then immigrated in and are now coming to their new country to take up God's calling on their life here. And what a blessing it is to be able to look around a church and see people who have come here for work, for a better life, but also to serve the Lord. What are the, what are the, not strengths and weaknesses, what is it's not what makes it easy and what makes it hard. It's, it's almost like that. What are the things that you really um, enjoy about that context and what's really difficult about that context, whether it's, you know, a city like Denver or Toronto? Yeah. Uh, what I love about the context in Toronto is the multiculturalism. And um, it's, it's wonderful to see that Revelation 5, Revelation 7 type uh, vision right in almost every local church. And I certainly, um, certainly just love to be able to look around and see the world having come to Canada and either found the gospel here or just as commonly, like I said, brought the gospel and now evangelizing the people here. So, um, and in terms of the secularism, it's, I don't find it that big of a challenge, to be honest. I've gone into a school, um, my kid's high school and was able to speak to one of the classes there, a uh, vocational class about being a pastor. They just asked people in different vocations to describe their experience. And I knew that most of the people I was speaking to there and they demonstrated it by a show of hands had never been in a church before. They, they didn't know any Christians. They, there's no bad theology to undo. They just have no theology. They haven't rejected the gospel. They've just simply never heard the gospel. And so um, there's literally millions of people in this country, even in the big cities that just haven't heard the gospel and are quite receptive when they do. So um, the, the opportunity is wide open here, uh, but it needs to be approached in the right way, not as America North, but as Europe West, if you will. Tim, that's really helpful to get some of the context for our listeners, understand kind of where you're at, what you're facing. It is five leadership questions and we wanted to hop into some of these questions and pick your brain a little bit. Cause we, we know you have a big brain and we, <laughs> we want to get in there. So who is someone that you're learning from right now? I know you're in a new season of, of your own life and walking through grief and challenging and still being expected to administer to others. Like what books are hot in your heart right now? Yeah. So um, to add context to that, in November of last year, my son, who was a seminary student down at the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary, just very unexpectedly uh, passed away. And um, in the immediate aftermath of that, I found myself going back in time in my reading, back to a day when this was very common, when pretty much everybody was grieving some kind of a loss, um, when it was much more common for people to lose children and um, found a lot of help, especially in 19th century devotional writers and um, people like J.R. Miller or Theodore Kyler or DeWitt Talmadge, Thomas Smith, um, F.B. Meyer, people like that. There's a whole um, genre of devotional writing that I think has really sort of faded away in the 20th and into the 21st century. 
And I found it just tremendously beneficial to be reading those authors. And um, again, they had all either grieved deeply or walked as pastors with people who had. And so they really spoke to my heart and ministered just the truth that, that I needed. So I've been reading their life works, going through just book after book after book. Is there a moment or a quote or a particular author that has said something that you've been carrying closely that you could share? Yeah, I mean, honestly, just so much. Um, J.R. Miller is one I had encountered before and really fallen in love with his writing. Uh, He's a 19th century Presbyterian pastor, and um, he just really ministers to my heart. He he really brings truth pastorally and just really confronts. He's really confronted me in helpful ways to accept God's providence as my ministry. And we have to be careful. We think ministry, creating a ministry, you know, registering it with the government, starting to solicit donations. I don't mean that, but just um, God equips us for ministry in different ways. And one of the ministries of the church is the ministry of sorrow. People who have been aggrieved and now are equipped to minister to others, primarily in the local church or the local context. And so to, he's really helped me see the, the grief we're going through as a family as something I need to steward faithfully before the Lord. And that's been just really beneficial, really helpful. And it's really helpful to think about stewarding suffering, isn't it, Todd? Like that's mm-hmm. a, a new category for me to think about that. Um, it's, it's just yeah. powerful. It brings meaning to it, right? If, it, if we're not stewarding it, what is it? It's just something bad that happened in life. But if we can understand the, the hand of providence in it, whether God does things or whether God permits things, somehow God is involved in all the circumstances of our lives. And so by stewarding it, we now understand, okay, this is an assignment from God. I don't need to get hung up on the why it happened or anything like that. I can just say, well, this is what did happen. And now I'm going to take this from the Lord, take it as a, a gift of his grace or an assignment from his hand. And I'm going to be faithful in it. Wow. So you've been curating content and creating content for years and years and years. And by that, you know, in, from my perspective, uh, being in, you know, Lifeway is a publisher, we're in publishing, but understanding that there are people that, you know, consume content, there are creators of content, and then there are curators. The interesting thing I found about you is, you know, most really good writers are also readers. Um, But what you do on a daily basis is curate content and break things down and, you know, help make them uh, even more palatable, et cetera. And so you do have a new uh, book that's coming out, Knowing and Enjoying God. Um, And talk a little bit about how that takes, you know, a, a, a quote and then breaks it down and the connection to, you know, the, the daily uh, really spiritual disciplines that really ground and cultivate um, that relationship with God that you're talking about. Sure. Yeah. A number of years ago, I started just collecting quotes. Every day I put out something called a la carte, which is just a collection of articles I've, I've read around the web that I want to share with other people. 
And I started just adding quotes to the end of them. I'd find a quote of my reading and just put it out there, a quote by, out of a book or out of a blog, off Twitter even, just wherever I found a, a good quote. And over time, started enlisting an artist who would uh, create a graphic and lay that quote on top of a graphic just to kind of make it something people would be more likely to share. They could print it. They could also distribute it through social media. And then over time, realized I think I could add a devotional component to that. And so we have lots of devotions based on lots of things in the Christian world, but I was interested in trying to craft some devotionals based on these, these quotes. And I, I love quotes. I love succinct statements of truth. I find them very helpful. And I think the Puritans really masters of this. You see it a lot in Matthew Henry or JC Ryle. They'll have a paragraph and then a sentence. And the sentence is the paragraph just in distilled, um, really condensed form. And I love those, those quotes. We're not as good at it in the 21st century as they were. Um, but Twitter, mind you, has brought it back a little <laughs> bit until they introduced the threads feature and that, that ruined it. Um, but yeah, so I just wanted to take the, the best quotes I could find about the spiritual disciplines and kind of craft a hundred days of devotionals so people can see what other Christians have said about it and hopefully be inspired to read scripture, to pray, and to really commit to the local church. Well, that's I mean, really you know. interesting. I, I, we're on the same wavelength, Tim, because recently I've noticed like right before I preach a text, I found it really helpful to spend about 15 minutes just reviewing quotes about that subject, key statements. It just, it kind of brings it all to a focus for me. And maybe I can sprinkle in a quote here and there into the sermon because people do remember those pithy statements. So I, mm -hmm. I'm interested to read that and check that out. Yeah. Go ahead, Todd. You were yeah. going to say something. I was just going to say that um, it's interesting to ask Tim, who are you learning from? Because he pretty much shows you that every single day <laughs> um, <laughs> in his blog you know exactly who he's learning from today right. in real time. Yeah. Um, but what's your, in your life ministry leadership, what's your, what's your main point of emphasis right now? So I would say in the background, there's something going on on a kind of ministry level, which is deliberately trying to remain small there. I want to be, a one man thing in the, in the Christian world, there's intense pressure to grow. Um, there's lots of people who want to support you. Lots of people who want to help monetize you people who want to take something small and make it big. There's people that is their ministry is supporting small things as they become big things. And I'm, very resistant to that. I don't want to be a big ministry. I don't want to go multinational. I don't want to hive off more of, more of myself. I just, I just want to keep doing what I do, which is I think sustainable and enjoyable and I hope serves people. And I'm just not wanting to, to be like Tim Challey's ministries, you know, and start making it bigger than it is. I've had some false starts in that where I, I sort of took the pressure and went with it and have really just not enjoyed it and not felt it. Uh, it's what I'm best at. So there's this deliberate smallness, this push to just be able to stay doing what I'm doing, make it sustainable and uh, make it last. And then more, more on the public side of things, my real emphasis has just been loving and encouraging people. Um, I used to deal a lot with issues and my name was associated with discernment back in the day. I wrote a book about discernment and that was, that was well and good. 
But uh, just in the past couple of years, and especially in light of uh, a recent family situation, I just really wanted to be encouraging to people to be able to continue to um, bring truth that will shore people up to face another day in a difficult world and just help them to commit more and more to just beautifully serving the Lord in, in their little walk before him. And uh, just as I'm attempting to do so, yeah, that's really been the emphasis of the writing in the last little while. I've got to ask a follow-up question to that, Tim, because it's something I've been processing as well. So I'm going to skip my other question. I was going to ask for this one. Um, Going from Denver to Nashville, Tennessee, re-entering the Bible belt, it has been a bit jarring for me to be reintroduced to what I would call Christian celebrity culture. You know, in, in an area of the country where there's so many Christians, there really can become kind of a celebrity status for people who have lots of influence that have grown their ministries. And I, I have noticed that the, the connection to happiness is not always there. <laughs> and you just probed on something that I think is really interesting to, to, to talk a little bit more about that. You, you've actually made a deliberate choice to not try to grow something so that you can stay in your lane and be content with something that's more local. Is that, is that what you're saying? Like talk through that a little bit more. Sure. Now, to be clear, there's nothing wrong with ministries that grow large. And I think some people really feel that calling and want to do that. And I mean, as you visit some of the big ministries, solid ministries, you see that some of these leaders have surrounded themselves with just the right people. And uh, you know a lot about a a man by the people he surrounds himself with, right? And the people who have just yes men around him, they never thrive. The people who put just really high quality, skillful, godly people around them, they they thrive. And it's a joy to see those ministries. But I, I've not felt that. I don't want that. I, I don't think that's what the Lord's got for me. So um, I'm not interested in being more widely known than I am, being more popular than I am. I don't solicit social media views. I don't, I don't do any of that. I don't... I just don't want any of that. I just want to be able to to write and get the writing out there as best I can to people who are going to benefit from it. Um, fame has no, no grip on me, no allure to me. I just, just don't want it. It's, it's partly a Canadian thing. I think um, we maybe are just sort of naturally resistant to it or skeptical of it might just come with my Canadianness. Um, but yeah, it's just not something I'm interested in something I've, I've sought. I was going to ask that same type of questioning because it does, it's, uh, that's not normal, Tim. Uh, so, so I wanted to know, was this a personal prompting, personal decision, or was it a spiritual prompting, spiritual, uh, decision that you're just like, you know, that I, I think God is telling me, no, this is what, this is what you need to do. Or is this something that you're just yeah. like, no, this is who I want to, this is who I want to be. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't a voice from the sky, but I think the Lord usually works through the intellect and through just the the things you chew on and ponder on in the night. And um, as you sit at your computer and type and all of that. So I think it was just a, for me, just a reasoned decision. And I know my own temptations and I've, uh, there were times in, in life and ministry where I was really glued to to numbers, to, to views, to readership, all of that. And it was spiritually paralyzing. It was so Mm -hmm. unhealthy for me. And, um, you know, envy never does anybody any good. It primarily hurts the one who is envious. 
Um, because it's a sin in which you're always comparing yourself to others. If you win the comparison, great. You, you become prideful. If you lose the comparison, you become despairing and you turn on God. And so I just, I just didn't trust myself to be able to want to pursue any sort of bigness without becoming envious of others. And so partly it was then, I think just an awareness of my own sin, my own um, temptations towards sin, uh, but then also wanting to have a life that's really sustainable and enjoyable and um, not wanting to add a ton of administrative overhead. And I think what we see often with the big people in the Christian world is that after a time they, they become so big, they had to outsource a lot of their creative work. Their books aren't always written by them or entirely by them anymore. There's all sorts of material created in their name that they don't really have their hands on. And I, again, I just, just am not interested. That's not always the case, but it can be the case. And there's always that temptation toward that. That's a fascinating take. Jesus's final charge to his disciples was to go and make disciples of all nations. And yet, many Christians today struggle to understand what this means for them. And many churches find it difficult to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. For the past 15 years, our friends at Downline Ministries have partnered with local churches by equipping men and women to know God's word and make disciples in the context of their homes, their churches, and their communities. They do this through the Downline Institute, a nine-month training program where students are taught Genesis through Revelation, biblical manhood and womanhood, and practical discipleship training. If you long for a greater knowledge of God's Word, a clear vision for making disciples, and the strengthening of biblical discipleship in your church, check out the Downline Institute's in-person and virtual training options. Downline is offering our listeners $100 off of the tuition cost. Just use the code LIFEWAY when you apply at downlineministries.com. Man, I, I would be interested to know uh, a little bit more about who Tim is at home. Uh, I think sometimes uh, we, we're always interested, like, what are leaders like at home? Like, what are their strengths in leading their families? What are your challenges? Uh, could you could you tell us a little bit about your leadership at home? Like, what, what things are you good at? What things do you really struggle at where you have to rely on the Lord? Sure. Yeah. So we're a pretty quiet, uh, easygoing family. Um, I'm quite introverted. My wife would be sort of a middle, middle in introvert. Uh, two of our kids, um, you know, my son was very introverted. My youngest daughter is a, a writer, a ponderer. My middle daughter is, uh, my older daughter is really the only one who is really extroverted. And so we're pretty quiet, pretty chill around the house. Um, if I, if there's faults in my leadership, um, some of the faults in my leadership would include such elements as, um, uh, I think an unwillingness to just go out and do stuff as a family. I don't think we serve very well as a family. And, um, you know, the difference between face-to-face -face and side-by-side, -side, right? How you can sit face-to-face -face and you relate to people one way and that way. And that's wonderful and good. But there's also ways you grow in love and knowledge when you serve side-by-side. -side. And I think my family probably not led my family very well in some of that side-by-side -side ministry. It was kind of mission together. Even in the local church, you know, the girls do this ministry, I do that ministry. We don't often do it side-by-side. -side. So I think that would be a, a fault. Yeah. And then just talking to a friend yesterday and we were pondering the fact that neither of us does conflict resolution in our families very well. 
And so <laughs> those things tend to build the conflicts maybe between us and others, but also just between other family members that, um, you know, as, as the dads in the family, we've not really led our, our kids or our family well through resolving conflict. And uh, over a long period of time, that can, that can add up and become pretty, it can bring some dis- relational dysfunction that might not have been there if we had just been a little more proactive. Yeah. And being a father, I have found it's harder than being a pastor. It's harder than being a, a president. Leading at home is where I often feel the most shame. Like I should be doing this and I should be doing that. And I look at other guys who are gifted at certain pieces of the leadership in the home. And it's so comforting to hear you say that you have struggles too. Cause I think as leaders, we don't talk enough about how none of us has it all together at home. There's things we're good at and there's things we struggle at and leadership at, you know, inside the walls of your house is challenging. It's very much challenging and nobody sees you as you really are as much as your own family. You can always put on airs at the church and the community and so on, but your family sees you at your absolute best and your absolute worst. They see it all. Um, That said, children, spouses are remarkably forgiving and forbearing. And um, I think for the great majority of us, our kids come away honoring us for what we did and willing to overlook the ways we failed. Um, you know, I think all of us, we, as we separate from our, our parents, we evaluate our parents in some way. And mm-hmm. always there's things our parents don't see about themselves that we would not want to duplicate in our own lives. We might not tell our parents those things, but they're always those things where they identify or we identify their weaknesses. Uh, and yet the Lord extends such grace to us. And, you know, through messy yeah. parents, he, he still does do, do great things. And yeah, he's, that's good. I talked to a seasoned pastor recently. He was talking to his own kids who are now adults and they were evaluating his leadership in the home. And he said, you know, uh, son, every generation, your role is to improve upon the previous one. So I think I did a little bit better than my dad did and you need to do a little bit better than me. So there you go. Yeah. And, you know, I think there's a spiritual principle there or something as well, that over time, you know, Godliness doesn't run in the family, but when you have three generations, there is a kind of something that builds over time. And I think of families where mom and dad are godly and grandparents are godly. So now you got these two generations pouring into the younger generation. Some families where there's three generations pouring into the younger generation and praying for the younger generation and influencing them. And yeah, there's something to be said for this multi-generational approach. Every child still still begins at the same point of, um, you know, just before the Lord and their sin and, and depravity. But, um, there is something to be said for just being raised in families that are increasingly stable, increasingly, uh, built around the word. That's good. You know, one of the things I want to point out is the decision that you made that you, you talked about a question back, um, we're just embracing the smallness of ministry, not wanting it to grow beyond what you could handle, et cetera. I think that's healthy in another way as well, because when I look at, uh, if I'm really transparent here, um, I have actually said to my wife at one point in time, um, nobody would treat me that way at church or nobody would talk to me like that you know, in, in, in my ministry or nobody would say I was 
irresponsible or whatever, whatever thing that we were currently um, just, by the way, just so you know, my family is probably the opposite of your family in that um, there's, everybody is very direct uh, <laughs> and very open, um, which has its own benefits in that, you know, everybody knows uh, exactly what everybody's thinking, where everybody stands, things may blow up, but then calm down quickly, all of that. However, I want to, uh, I want to, talk about that, uh, with you as well. Like, first of all, have either of you ever made the same mistake I did, uh, in either it, first of all, it's a mistake to think it. It's even a greater mistake to say it out loud. Um, so I don't know in the spirit of transparency, Man, I'm asking, I invite, you know, Paul Tripp talks about, I think in dangerous <laughs> calling about when he told his wife that there were a hundred women at church that would love to be married down. <laughs> <laughs> and, and she said something like, good, why don't you go find one or something? <laughs> but there, there is, I think the more you have, as, as Tim said, the more success you experience, the more people around you are telling you how great you are, how successful you are. You really do begin to feel like, okay, my family or my wife doesn't really get the full me and uh, she needs to understand that I'm kind of a big deal. Like you don't really say it like that, but you think it, and it's very carnal and very depraved. So I resonate a lot with what you're saying, Tim, in terms of, you know, you know, I think about when John the Baptist said he must increase, I must decrease. It sounds very similar to what you're saying in terms of being smaller. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I should say I'm not above saying something to my wife. Like I bet Charles Spurgeon didn't have to iron his own pants before he went off to preach. So that's just kind of one of our little inside jokes that I tend to do more. That went well. (laughs) We're all right with it. We joke about it. Um, Yeah, but no, I think what you're saying is, is absolutely right. We can become very full of ourselves and think far too highly of ourselves and just lose that awareness of just how sinful we are and what our families tolerate in, in us as leaders. The, um, it's good to, it's good to get a better assessment from time to time of our own leadership failures and then to uh, mm-hmm. be willing to bear with our, our family as they put up with us. Yep. So uh, I'll move into our, our last question. And that is what would you tell your 20 year old self about leadership or preparing to lead? If you could yeah. go back in time and talk to yourself. Yeah. Um, one of the principles I tried to instill pretty early. So um, probably pretty early in my marriage was when you're at your best prepare for your worst, um, which is when you're doing well in life, when things seem to be going smoothly, when you're riding the spiritual highs, et cetera, that's the time right then to put plans in place, to, to just put procedures in place, whatever it is for when you're not doing well. So build good habits, um, build good patterns, build good friendships, whatever it is, good accountability when you're doing really well. And so then when you're, you're doing poorly, which will inevitably come, you know, those peaks and valleys of life, uh, you'll be well prepared for it. Um, you don't want to go into those bad times in life, whether that's just temptation or circumstances or sorrow, whatever it is, you don't want to go in um, unprepared. Um, I think your most important leadership moments are probably going to come when you're in great difficulty. Um, the, the best of leadership or the most important moments of leadership are probably not going to come in, in the meadows as much as in the valleys. 
so to speak. So really being prepared to lead through hardship, through sorrow. A lot of pastors realize this through the COVID situation. Um, it was much harder to lead through a pandemic and all the uncertainty that came with it than to lead in the, the years of fun and sun that led up to it. And so um, absolutely being prepared to lead through, through trouble, through sorrow, through difficulties is I think as a father, as a pastor, as businessman, whatever it is, that's, that's key. It's really interesting, Tim, to get some time on zoom with you. I've never experienced you face to face before. And there's a sincerity about you, brother, uh, a comfort in one's own skin that is refreshing. And thanks Thank for you. offering that today, man. I really am humbled by uh, just your posture and your thoughtfulness and just even your willingness to talk about some of your own failures. Thanks for doing that today. My pleasure. Uh, I just want to remind our listeners too, that uh, first week of September, actually September 7th, uh, Tim's new book, knowing and enjoying God uh, comes out. And if you think about what he does on a daily basis, he has taken the center cut the best of the best uh, quotes and kind of put them in there, broken them down. Um, it's a beautiful book. Uh, one of the things I appreciate you uh, about you, Tim, as well is your name's on the book. And then it has graphics by uh, Jules. Coral. Yeah. So yeah. in very, it's not often where you, um, you would you would see that, uh, especially for somebody who had quote unquote, you know, just put the graphics together for the book. We we both understand how big of a deal that is, and and um, the thoughtful care that probably went through that and all that. But again, um, it says something about you that you know, right there with your name is, is that person that curated those uh, images specifically for the book. So I appreciate that. Um, I hope you understand what I'm saying uh, with that, that 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 exhibits a level of uh, humility and um, right view of oneself as a leader, um, as as anything we've heard today. So thank you for doing that. And listeners, please go out and uh, pick up that book. Please leave it a rating review and hop onto iTunes and leave us a rating and review as well. Thanks for listening.